podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's and it's been a while since we've been on for one reason or another. We've all been so busy but to be honest it's not been it's not really been the best time to talk about the Reds anyway has it but you know can't keep running off forever we've got to talk about them in the end. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm today with Tony Evans and with Jay Reed. and um, I mean I'll start with you Tony I think you, you wrote a piece recently as well about those recent games. Um, I think at the point that was before the Arsenal game so so you know we'd We'd sort of capitulated against the the blue half of Manchester, and then um, just not done well enough against Chelsea. And obviously, since then, Arsenal were. I don't know if, if you talk about a game of two halves. It wasn't quite two halves, but there was like two Liverpool's turned up that day. Is you know, is there anything to be hopeful about this season, or are we just gonna are we gonna carry on like this? You know what what on earth is going on? I've been asked that by so many people, and you just think I don't know. I've given up trying to guess. Well, the, the Arsenal game actually made me feel worse about things, Jim, because if it was just a simple case of the team going over the top and not being good enough, you go, well, OK. Mm. You know, last year was, you know, was so exceptional, unbelievable. No one could have foreseen it, you know, and everyone's got old together or everyone's lost form together. You've got to move on. You've got to do a rebuild. But unfortunately, it showed you that when they are motivated and when they put their minds to it, they can actually do it. They mm. can actually play with the best. And that that's what bothers me. And I was talking to someone sort of close to the situation, and they were saying one of the issues is that a lot of the players have kind of they've got to the point where they were in 2017, you know, just, um, you know, in that autumn of 2017 when, the, you know, Andy Robertson, you know, wasn't getting a game. Moreno was the left back. Gotcha. The team seemed to be going nowhere. And then all of a sudden, he brought, you know, everyone talks about Virgil van Dijk coming. And yes, transformative and all that. But actually, it was in the December when Andy Robertson started playing regularly. And all of a sudden, him and Trent clicked in. Mm. And then, you know, and then, you know, Virgil arrives in, um, the, in the January. And and the whole the whole scene changes. But in that October and November, there was mutterings from senior players saying, "You know what? Don't know whether this fella's right. He hasn't got a plan B. Where do we go from here? Well, you know, what, what's happening?" Yeah. And talking about Klopp, and the same the same people are doing the same muttering now, and it seems to be there's a loss of conviction. You know, in the, in the dressing room, and the connection with Klopp is, if not broken, strained. And and the the problem is, what's Jurgen got? What does he bring to a football club? He's a brilliant, inspiring manager, but he ain't no tactician, and he and he ain't no. It's a substitution stink. 
You know, he, he, on the training ground, does he actually add value to the way players work? Well, he gets them to improve the fitness and, and, and to run for it. But in part, that's because he's inspirational. So the main thing he brings here is, an ins- you know, the inspirational manager thing. And Shankly did that. So, yeah. you know, you, you know that, that, that's nothing to be sniffed at. But when you lose that, when you lose, that's not working. What else can you bring to the table? And in the first half against Arsenal, that didn't work. It took Xhaka being a dickhead and a linesman being a dickhead to get them all riled up and get them working. And, and you know, I'd rather see them when they're actually responding to the manager. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we said weeks ago, I don't know, which game it was, but there's, there's particular games in a season, um, playing the Manx, playing in the Derby, all of these sorts of games where you say, um, in a way, you shouldn't need a manager to motivate you for those games. As long as you understand what those games mean, you don't need a manager. But obviously, that's just a handful of the games in a season, and that's what the manager does. You get him to motivate you for the rest of it. But again, I'm like you. I mean, I think for the big games... Over the last few years, even, you know, before this, the last good spell, if you like, I always felt that this Liverpool team that we've had, or these Liverpool teams we've had, will go out against a team like the Manx, like Chelsea, like Man City, and they'll put a hell of a performance in and quite often get a result. And, and the issue was always they then follow it up a week later with the team down in the bottom six and, and throw points away. Um, because for whatever reason, that motivation wasn't there. But you're right. If, if we're struggling to get motivated for these games, I mean, Liverpool against Arsenal at Anfield is such a big game. It just feels like a big game. I don't know why, you know, a lot of history in the fixture and all the rest of it, but it always feels a big game. Um, you know, and if anything, this season may be the biggest for a while in the sense that you've got a chance to sort of see them maybe as a bit of a scalp. Um, but that just didn't happen. It was just, and like you say, it, it took an event, event for that to change things. And, um, maybe that was, I mean, maybe that was, I mean, it was Andy Robbo involved, funnily enough, with the linesman. Um, the footage of it hasn't been that great, but the assistant referee, sorry, not linesman, we don't call him that now. Um, he, he did seem to put an elbow towards Robbo. Robbo got booked. We don't know what's gone on, but as usual, there's like, there's no real information coming out from, from the, uh, from the officials about it. Yeah. If that was a player, he'd have already been charged by now if it'd been something that hadn't been seen. You know, it, it just seems to be, um, you know, we need some clarity, don't we? Why is it taking so long? Are we going to get some clarity? Is it going to be brushed under the carpet? Was it something or nothing? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, one of the things is, you know, and, and this starts in the 90s, like officials have been undermined horribly since then. Ferguson and Wenger started it really, and it was the first time that we had regular 
televised live football you know well saturation live football you know on, on tv yeah. and so you got to see every you know a lot of decisions in slow motion especially with the big clubs and ferguson and wenger they squeal like pigs every time you know mm. the, things went against them uh, and then of course you got Mourinho come in and he upped the ante even more you know, it's um, so much so that, you know, it led to uh, a referee getting death threats and all that. And it's got worse and worse and worse. And having the referee briefly when I lived in the States, it's, um, it, it, you know, I, I have some sympathy with officials. And, you know, it was half time. And Andy Robertson really shoving me going up and getting in the personal space of the linesman. They're still linesmen, aren't they? Yeah, on the yeah. bloody line. <laughs> um, and what do you call it? Uh, he shouldn't be getting in the space. But having said that, you know, this fella looks, he looks like one of those, like, um, he looks like he's he's done too much time in the gym. You know, he looks <laughs> like he wants to be on the door of, like, you know, I don't know, plumbers in 19... 19- 89 or steroids as up lunatic yeah you wouldn't and yeah what, what's, is, has he been taking something that maybe changes his mood a little right yeah yeah i don't i, I don't think he, he has i think he's just been no. in the gym too much but you know <laughs> it, but it, it's completely unprofessional for him to throw an elbow you know it's com- you know completely unprofessional and it needs to be sources but i think this is a chance and uh, the fa won't take it and the football won't take it everyone should sit down and take a deep breath and say have we gone too far here you know, can we all stop acting like bellends? Yeah. You know, and I mean, all referees, manage, but particularly managers who ramp everything. And, you know, Jürgen's, you know, he's no he's no angel that way, you know, moaning about referees and all that. It's a, the, the, you know, and, and all this has led us to VAR. It's led us to one of the worst things that could have happened to the game. And, um, and everyone needs to rethink, stop it. You know, yes, I understand you get frustrated, you know, and I understand that refereeing decisions go against you. That's an emotional game, but you've got to you've got to take a step back, and um, you know they, they, they've got to they've got to clamp down on this. You could, you, you, I mean, I must admit, I was a pretty aggressive referee and linesman. <laughs> you know, when people um, when people challenge me, I must have, I, I, I must have told you that, that, that story. Like, you know, one, one of the um, I was I was refereeing in LA in Griffith Park, and um, and there was a fellow like it was a team of Mexicans. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of argy birds. You know, warned them and said, "Look, hey, you know, once more, and like you're going in the book and um, he kicked someone else." So that was like, give him the yellow card. He said to me, your mother's a whore. I said, have you been to Liverpool? <laughs> and like, and he, he just went ballistic. And he, he was doing, giving that loads of the old me back, old me back. And I was like, come here, dickhead. Because, you know, that's the sort of referee I was. And I give him the red card. And he said, I'm going to the car to get a gun and I'm going to come back and I'm going to shoot you. And I'm like, uh, okay. And the linesman started flagging. And I'm like, not now, not now, you know. And then I'm thinking, what do I do? Do I uh, indirect free kick, restart the game with a bounce ball, hide in the bushes? Anyway, <laughs> Lionsman's still flagging. He comes over. As I go over to him, he like turns his hip, lifts his jersey, and there's a 38 there. He says, I'm a transit cop. I'll shoot him before he shoots you. <laughs> like, $36 a game I was getting. You know what I mean? It's, um, <laughs> but, like, but, but suffice to say, yeah. I can understand the frustration. You know, there, there were plenty of times when players were like really aggressive towards me. And I go, you know, hey, dickheads, you know, what, what are you going to do about it? But, you know, it's the Premier League. You can't be doing that sort of stuff. 
God, you you think that yeah, the, he's pr- professional. I mean, like you say, you you were, you were a professional getting paid like buttons, and these guys now they're getting paid a lot more than buttons. It's almost it's a full time job now, isn't it? It never used to be years ago. Um, oh. And I still think the biggest the biggest problem with refereeing in 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 our game, the game that we love, is this this sort of thing that you've got got to have respect for the referees, but it's kind of a one way street and. Um, I agree. I mean, that that's the thing we should be saying to people, respect the referee, you know, there's a reason that he's there, he's doing a job. And I just feel like having any respect for them goes out the window whenever it happens that they do something wrong. And then it's just like, there's no explanation. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. And I think this is what winds fans up maybe more than anything else is... Um, you know, everyone makes a mistake. That's why your favourite striker doesn't score the winner when you needed him, misses a penalty, maybe stuff like that. You know, everyone get, gets it wrong from time to time, but there's never kind of any explanation. Like we're left wondering, did he, did he just interpret the rules wrong? Did he not see things properly, or have the rules changed the game? Why did he do that in that game, but then this one did something different in another? And we're just kind of left to argue amongst ourselves, and it just builds up more and more resentments. And then, um, I think. I mean, something I've talked about loads. Before we had VAR, one thing I really thought was good about other sports where they do have video referees and things was that having the referee mic'd up so you can hear everything they're saying to the players. Now, I get the feeling, you know, Sky, you'd obviously have to do a lot of their, um, you know, you might hear some language that you were offended with, very sorry, but you know what? It's football. It has football language. is part of football, isn't it? The bad language. And I just say, look, stick a warning on at the beginning of it. Let's get the the referee's mics up and let's hear what's getting said. But when you do listen to these other sports, there actually is some respect and you see it where, you know, the referee will make a decision. The player's not happy with it, but they know better than to answer back and they just go, okay. But the referee's actually explained it to them. They've, They've gone to the trouble of saying... I've done it this because you did that and that happened and this happened. And sometimes it'll just be something you, you hadn't thought of that's further down the line. Um, uh, you know, going back ages, well, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, where it actually works is when, when people, you know, are aware that they are on, you know, they're on tape or yeah. on camera, they often, you know, modify the behaviour slightly. You know, so maybe if they were fully aware players that they were, you know, you, you could hear what they were saying and it was likely to get played back to everyone, maybe they wouldn't be effing and blinds, and, and maybe they wouldn't be calling referee all, referees all sorts of names. You know, it's yep. worth to try. We've got to try and restore some respect. I mean, it's really difficult. I mean, even at the low level, I refereed. I, you miss things. I mean, I remember of, often you'd rely on things like the reaction of players. So I remember refereeing a, a, a game, and um, like. I was in, I was in the right position, but if someone ran right across my line of vision just when someone was fouled in the area. And the thing is, the reaction the players told me that it was a penalty, you know, at one team. And but like I looked across the, to the linesman, and the linesman was like eyeing up some woman who was walking past. <laughs> he just, you know, he just like that, I mean, that's what he was doing. And I was like. I was caught in two minds. I wanted to give the penalty. I knew I should give the penalty, but I, 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 I kind of lost me nerve for the seconds and didn't because I hadn't seen it. I said to him, I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. You know, it's one of them. And that undermines you a bit. But yet you do. And when you look at the Premier League, I've had the good fortune to be down, you know, sort of pitch side, close up, and you see how quickly things move. Yeah. And bloody hell, you know what? These fellas are flying. They're going so fast that I honestly don't know how referees referee. I mean, that they get so much right 
with the pace of the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, surprises me a little bit. And then, you know, VAR is supposed to help them, and actually it doesn't. It makes it worse. But, you know, the, the fact is, you, you know, you, you need to have some understanding that, that how difficult this job is. And it really is. And it's thankless because everyone thinks you're against them. And I mean, I know that as well from the journalism world. Every, every fan thinks you hate their club. Yeah. I mean, if, you remember, Jim, all the abuse I took for hating Liverpool for how long I was like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's starting again because, like, I'm I'm, I'm slightly for someone. Um, someone called me a shit stare on Twitter the other day because I was trying to, like, you know, tell them, give an indication of what I've heard that's going on at the club, and like, it's not shit stare, shit, shit stare, and we're supposed to tell you what we are, but like, but you know, it's like it'll start again. Oh, I mean, you know, they flip flop with me from like, um, oh, you know, your family sports group fanboy. Because you know, I admitted that as a relationship with John Emery and tried to explain why it was like to like now I'm a shit stare and I hate the club. God, yeah. You know, it's just it's ridiculous. And every club thinks you hate them, you know. And a number of people I was speaking to a Fulham fan and he said the press ape Fulham. And I'm like, they don't give a toss, I'll be honest. They don't <laughs> give a toss. But like but you know, that's it. and it's the same with referees. Everyone thinks the referees are biased against your club, and they're not. They're just it's just a difficult game. And, you know, if we could understand that and we didn't get managers going on television afterwards and basically saying this gobshite cost us the game. Yeah. When, in fact, the gobshites who frequently cost you the game are the ones who are wearing the shirts with your badge on, who who make errors, or in our case this season, who don't seem to be focused enough. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I know that stuff with the bias. I mean, I always made me laugh, though, that I had on my Twitter account, you know, LFC is the hashtag LFC and all the rest of it in my profile. And um, I think, and I'd write a piece, you know, quite clearly as a Liverpool fan, and I get all the Evertonians say, you're biased, you, as if it was some sort of strange discovery. I mean, I actually can be impartial if I really have to be. I've even written nice things about Manchester United in, in previous roles, but um, that was hard, you know, and you have to have a bath afterwards, but you can do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, bias, bias, bias. I mean, it's like, I mean, Gary Lineker and all the rest of it say it, you know, that the, everyone assumes the BBC are biased because their game's always on last on Match of the Day and stuff like that. I mean, um Professional people in the game are not biased. I also, though, do think, though, I mean, just quickly on that with referees, when you get a referee from Manchester, he's probably not biased. But the fact he's a referee from Manchester and he's, and he's referee in Liverpool via Manchester team, you're just opening yourselves up to, to accusations of that. Um, Jay, you're, um, you're also sort of accustomed to all of this bias and stuff because, um, you know, following the Reds down the years, you've, you've sort of, started to wonder at times whether we've had, you know, people up against us, I'm sure, because it feels like that at times, you know, that, you know, there's, there's people in the game who are biased against Liverpool and all the rest of it. But in reality, um, that's just not the case. It's just, just sometimes people just, are bad at their jobs, aren't they? It's just shit. <laughs> <laughs> if we're honest, these referees, are t- I I don't think if you're a football fan, you never think the referee is any good. Um, you know, you, you'd be a fool to, to a bit like going through like, half a dozen games and think, oh yeah, the referee had a good run of games there or whatever. You'd always think, you know, he, he should have given us that or that should have been a penalty or that should have been a foul or whatever. And, and you'd always think, oh, this one's against us. And there is a weird trend we know of Manchester or greater Manchester based referees, which raises suspicion. Um, is the, probably the best way to say it. Um, just on 
on that linesman the other day. He looked a bit like a jumped up version of Adrian, like Adrian who's been on the steroids. <laughs> um, but I noticed from where I was stood in the cock that about 20 minutes or so into the first half, Robbo cleared the ball and it whacked him flush in the chest. And obviously a man of that many muscles doesn't want them put out of shape. So maybe he was a bit offended by the fact that Robbo from five to six yards away had blasted the ball at him. But all he was doing was clearing his lines as any, any good defender would do. And then about 30, 40 seconds later, he was the soft foul, which was doing the rounds on on Twitter and other social media where I think Jota put his, his little finger on Gabriel Jesus' back and he went down like he'd been sniping from someone in the crowd and the referee couldn't wave quick enough. But then obviously when Mo Salah was basically being manhandled in the penalty area. That couldn't be seen by the same linesman. Um, but, you know, you're not one to, to put two and two together and get 60-40 here, are we? Um, it, it's just a, a case that you, you look at some of the referees, Paul Tierney, I think Klopp said it in the, South, in, in the Tottenham game, was it last season? Um, and he said, I've got no problem with anyone but you. And every time we do seem to have this Paul Tierney, there is always a lot of controversy around like refereeing decisions, whether that be, you know, he, he misses things, he gives he gives a foul that wouldn't be a foul anywhere else on the pitch, or then he'll completely go opposite in the direction of what he has just given. It's, it's a common occurrence with him, and I think, you know, how do you get the bomb of solving it when the men at the top are the ones protecting them all? You know, you've got the likes of Dan McGallagher going on Sky on a Monday morning going, Oh, and I, I'll always stand by the referees and agree with them. And even if it's a blatant, you know, opposite decision, he will go, well, maybe we have to look at the footage and discuss it, like he said about the elbow the other day. And then you've got Howard Webb at the top of the PGMOL, um, replacing the infamous Mike Riley then. You know, you're literally banging your head against the wall with shite. You're not going to get it any better. Um, so, you know, VAR at the time, we thought it was maybe a welcome addition to the game where... You know, you would give another opinion on things. You'd maybe get another look at things. And yeah, the fact that you've got them boys looking after their own, protecting the little boys club. I've always said all along, I've never agreed with it. I think the, the VAR should be an impartial panel who oversee all all games across the weekend. Like It can't be that hard to sit there with a screen full of monitors and watch a couple of games if there's four or five years in there when a decision's flagged up. And then it's quickly reviewed or whatever, because you would hope then if it was the same panel of people and then whether that be an ex-referee, whether that be a technology expert who can do the, the business of these lines and whatever very quickly. And then people who've played the game who are pretty level-headed and say, you know, like, come on, that's a, that's a football and instant sort of thing. You know, three or four minds together with different sorts of expertise in area you might then actually get to a, some sort of level of consistency because you can guarantee, you know, a referee, I think it was Stuart Atwell at the weekend, made a, a huge error and missed one in the Brighton-Tottenham game, amongst other things. And his punishment is to be dropped to VAR. So that's not a punishment. You're just <laughs> now responsible for another part of the game where, you know, you can still have an influence on being a terrible ref and being a terrible person of judgment. So... You're just going round in circles, but you know, as as things are with you know this country in terms of politics and governing bodies and stuff like that, those at the top are only in it for themselves and protecting one another. So you you basically bang your head against the wall. You just get to the point where you 
you'd have to sort of suck it up and say, you know what, like if in, in the case of Liverpool, it's the eleven lads on the pitch and you know, maybe the twelfth man understand who can have an influence on this game because the chances are the man in the middle in whatever aluminous cord shirt he's wearing that day isn't gonna do you any favours. No, it's 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 just frustrating. It is every game that we seem to play, we seem to be talking about referees, it's just it's just one of those things that's that's getting on my on my nerves lately. Because I mean, you know, where people are paying good money to go to the game, and people are paying good money, being paid good money to be at the game doing different jobs. And then the the thing is that what you've just said then about having three or four people with different outlooks on the game. The, the fact is, if we were actually talking about decisions and referees and and people representing the refs were actually taking the time to talk about the decisions as well, and we were having a conversation about it. We'd almost by you know it's like negotiating, like you just said about politics. You know, the, the the Tory government won't speak to the doctors, and so the doctors say they're going to call off the strike. They're in doing the strike because they're not happy with the pay. If they went and talked to them, maybe they'd call the strike off because they'd think, oh well, maybe maybe there is somewhere we can get to. Maybe there is some middle ground we can find. If you don't talk to each other, you don't really know where each other's thinking, and you can't get anywhere. And I think that's the biggest issue with referees. The only other thing I'd say on that thing quickly is that. Um, Andy Robbo didn't react to the elbow the way that um, a certain referee reacted to Di Canio all those years ago. Is it Paul Alcock? Um, he got the slightest of touches, and I think Di Canio was missing for weeks afterwards, wasn't he? he was banned for uh, ages just for touching. Do you remember that, Tony? The um, oh, I do, I slight do. It was touch, the, wasn't it? One of the funniest things we've seen. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, he uh, it, it, it didn't react like that. But, I mean, let's let's be honest about Andy Robertson. Like, he's a snide and he's a bell end, you know, on the pitch. You gotta love it. You know, I love that sort of thing. And um, you know, and then he, he's he's always gonna get himself in situations like that, isn't he? Yeah. Because of fighting an empty house. And um so you know, I mean and, and the thing is, that's the one thing people don't do as well. I see things like that and personally I I I, I just laugh at it. You are right, they've got to punish the referee. But it really is a storm in a teacup. And what it is, what it did do though. It did. It put a fire under him, and Jacques put a fire under Trent. And they've been the creative hub of the team since the, you know, the takeoff of the Klopp you know, successful era. And they put a fire under them, and everything changed. Yeah. And, like, and I'm like, uh, and we come back to what we talked about before. Jürgen, you put a fire under them. You get them going like that. And, and that applies to the whole team. And so, you know, I mean, as I, I, I say, I, I, I actually think, I think the more people you get involved in refereeing and decision making, and the more layers of bureaucracy that you put in, the 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 worse it gets. As we've seen with VAR, strip it back down. Let the man in the middle do his job, and if he turns out to be absolutely crap, then television will expose it, and then you know look somewhere else. And um, but you know, essentially. Like I said before, tell everyone to stop being bellends, get on with the bloody thing, and um, and and maybe just managers. You know what? The the majority of the reasons you lose, your team didn't play well. Your team missed chances. Your team, your your team did all kinds. It's very rarely down to the referee. I mean, Brighton have a good call on that, as Jay said, um, against Tottenham because that that was pure refereeing. You know, just buffering and every, but like you know, 
when when things go wrong for a manager, the easy thing is to shriek about a ref, isn't it? It yeah. deflects, it deflects away from his players. It deflects away from him, and um, and yet, yet the poor Melonette in 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 the middle is going to take the blame. And to be honest with you, I think after referees love the attention anyway. So the more you get them to blame, the more happy they are. Maybe that thing the FA do where they find managers for having a go with the ref, um, maybe it should be kind of classed as an aggravated offence if it was like basically you were shite today and you shouldn't be blaming the ref. You know, you get an extra 20% fine on top. The other um, the other thing that's, that sprung to mind then as well, um, when you were talking about Klopp and the motivation is before Klopp came along, the last manager couldn't motivate. So... I couldn't motivate enough so we brought Steve Peters in basically to kind of get people's heads straight and I always remember thinking with Klopp you don't need this Dr Steve Peters because Klopp's the great psychologist in much the way Bill Shankly was that's you know there's massive similarities between the two in that sense but if it's not working at the minute then obviously that that that's an issue and, and something needs to be done but Rodgers um Without you know, without going on too much about him, he he couldn't do the job at Leicester in the end. He's ended up being sacked, and now there's talk of Rafa going there. And Jay, do you think? Um, I don't know about you, but I think this this could maybe be if Rafa goes for it and, and takes it. This could be the kind of project he needs. It's not, it's not a team. It's a team that's got a sort of relatively sensible owners. I would say it's not a team that's in massive turmoil it's probably a team that's got some patience um, and probably a team that's got expectations that aren't way above where they should be which is you know even at Liverpool let's be honest Rafa's, Rafa was facing expectations that were perhaps asking a bit too much so is this is this going to be the job for him because I think most Liverpool fans love Rafa and would love to see him doing well somewhere as long as he's not beating us Hello I'm here to annoy you I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Possibly, yeah. Um, I think if you if you look at like the sort of job he did at Newcastle, um, you know that the two different size clubs in in terms of stature and history and whatever. But you know, if Leicester are really honest with themselves, like they are mid table to the bottom end of the table, Premier League doing well, like you know, winning winning the FA Cup and the Premier League in recent years, I think was was only a pipe dream for pretty yeah. much any Leicester fan. Um, where you know, like Newcastle before the the investment that they all got, like they, they had dreams of being near the top. But when Rafa was there, his Emma was like, you know, you keep us in the Premiership, and then we were trying or the Premier League as well. No, sorry, and, and try and build from there onwards. Um, they've got a core squad there that isn't bad. Like you know, there's a few players if you were 
if you were looking at the, the transfer window like down the line and saying like you know if if Leicester had been relegated this this season, um, would there be any players of interest in you know like in, in you look in recent times where we took like Andy Robertson from Hall and Wijnaldum from from Newcastle and Shakiri from Stoke like there's, there's lads there at Leicester do you think yeah I I I wouldn't mind taking a punt on them there's a there's a there's a few decent bits of talent there and hmm. I think you know for for Rafa that. The Everton job, as amusing as it was for us, I think you know it was. It was never going to work out one way or the other. Yeah, um, nothing. It was. He was just. Yeah, he was a. He was a dead horse waiting to be shot, really. There, but with Leicester, you know, he's away from the, you know, the the glamour clubs of of the big six because he's not going to realistically get one of them jobs again, and he could do enough there. I think in terms of you know, you get them back into top ten, you get them a good cup run. Because you know it is very possible for for teams to win uh, the domestic cups. You know if the you look at the semi-finals of the of the FA Cup this year, Sheffield United and Brighton are in there. I think you know Brighton probably got a better shot than Sheffield United, given obviously Man City have got the lower ranked team because that's how the the domestic cup draws work. But he could go there and win them a trophy and do a decent job. I think it wouldn't be a bad move for him. I don't see where else he could go in the Premier League now because. You know, he's he's not going to get the glamour club, as we said. He's not probably wanting to be embroiled in a relegation dogfight, although if he took the Leicester job right now, he would be. Um, yeah. Well, the other thing to remember is that they offered him the job before Brendan Rodgers took it, but he wouldn't leave Newcastle mid-season to go to, uh, to, go to Leicester. And Brendan Rodgers, obviously... You know, oh. like you know, Mr. Loyal himself. Loyalty, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a, he was like a rat down a down a pipe to get out of Scotland. You know, he was um and and he took and he took it mid season, which is why he was there. But Rafa was the first choice. He's never then, actually he's never actually sort of any of the contracts early on his own himself, has he? Maybe I don't know what happened with the China thing with COVID and everything, but I'm pretty sure up until then he, he'd always seen a contract out to the end unless he was pushed. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, like, the the two things which are bizarre about him is he always takes, makes the wrong choice of jobs. <laughs> you know, it's like you could even argue that Liverpool was the wrong wrong choice of job. You know, at the time, it's um, he turns it into something worthwhile. But you know, that the, the way other options which may have been better but certainly you know he, he should never have taken took the inter job following Mourinho everyone told him that yeah. he should never have took um he should never have took uh Napoli because the lunatic owner and he did all right there he should never have took um he, he certainly shouldn't have took the Real Madrid job everyone knew that was hard to not mm. um he, he, you know Chelsea did a good job there, but he knew it wasn't going to be long-term. Newcastle, everyone told him that was a mistake. Everyone told him Everton was a mistake. Leicester might be the first job, well, since Liverpool, where you'd say to him, well, you know, actually, you'd see it working out here. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, he's got, he he does have plenty of people advising him, but he definitely knows his own mind. Um, Anyone who's been close to Rafa will tell you that. I know people who, who spent a lot of time with Rafa and um yeah he um he definitely knows his own mind even if his own mind isn't what you what you think um yeah, i suppose I, that's what's done him well at times though as well isn't it yeah and and the thing is people if people who haven't seen what he does up, up front i mean there, there there are components of his obsessive character which um, make him um at, at times difficult company <laughs> let's say <laughs> uh, but you know i mean 
one of the things that like really amazed me when um, I went over to spend some time in China with him in Zalian, I couldn't believe how much time and effort he was putting into trying to create a you know a proper system at that club and to make it work. Because you know, I thought I thought he's going over there for the money, you know, and, and, and you know he was obviously admitted that the money pays a big part of it. You know, it was like it was a million quid a, a month net. You know, so yeah. it was like you know and. And, and and you know for for anyone you know he he talked about said you know this just doesn't make you know doesn't mean that me you know my children will be set for life it'll be their children and that sort of thing yeah. so he did that but he went over there and I spent I spent time with him and it showed me the um, a football manager as a bureaucrat as someone who was like you know. It was setting up frameworks and hmm. working out how you know how youth systems were, how many coaches they need, where they need coaches from. And he has to incorporate Chinese coaches there. You know how how with his budgets he could get foreign coaches in and assign them to the, the Chinese coaches to make them work and flow charts and everything. And I spent a whole day with him going through that, and it was like it, it you know it, it was amazing his attention to detail. And you know, um, and and the amount of effort it took in, you know, I mean, it was literally it was so much. And you know, so the training grounds and talking about tactics and all that is only a small part of it. You know, certainly in that job, but he's, he, you know, he, he embraces all of it and he wants to make a, a club when he goes in there stronger at every level. And it, it was really fascinating to see. But uh, second day, he's like, "Oh yeah, come in, we'll do the same again tomorrow." I was like, "Yeah, why don't I just why don't I just meet you for dinner later on?" You know. <laughs> no, but um, no, I, I spent uh, you know a few days with him uh, that, that week to, going through that, and a lot of it was grindingly dull work but he's you know his level of commitment to a club is absolutely phenomenal yeah and i think sometimes like people have painted him as cruel in the past and i don't think he is cruel he's definitely not cruel when you when you when you hear stories about him that a lot of stories that don't ever make it out into public as well he's he's, he's the opposite of cruel but he's also he is in some ways as you say almost like machine like in, in the way he does things and that's you know he thinks well, everyone I, I, thinks the same we we have to get this done this way and and you know that, that to me is what does it I think it's important to understand like you know what, what being cruel was I mean you know the, the, there was that story wasn't there um, about Torres who just had the kids and like, uh, and you know, so he comes off, and Rafa was like, you know, he'd score, and Rafa was like, you know, you should have scored more. You, you know, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. Yeah. And like, I remember talking to him, and um, and he said, the thing is, you gotta understand, like, they're not me mates. Yeah. Like the, these fellas are half my age. They're <laughs> not me mates. You know, I'm the boss. I have to try and get them to improve the game and try and improve their careers. And and also, I was with him when I was with him in China. He was talking to me. He said, "Like, oh, you know, sort of, uh, do you want to go downstairs and have you know have lunch with the staff?" He said, "I've got like a I've got a difficult meeting." He said, "One of the players, you know, it's, he said it's not working." He said, "So I've got to tell him that you know he needs to find another club and and all that." He said, "And the thing is." He said, "Well, I've done. I've, I've arranged. I've, I've talked to a whole bunch of people at various clubs who I think he'd suit their game better." He said, "Because he works hard, he, he gives. You know, he, he, he puts us all into it." He said, "But he's not going to get playing time here because I've got two people in this position who are better, and he can't do anything else good, yeah. good enough to, to, you know, to for me to maintain him." He said, "So I'm. If he stays here, he's being held back, 
and I'm getting nothing from him. He said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and help him. I'm going to try and help him move on against the right place. He said, because he is, he is, he's someone. He said, you know, I've got a lot of time for it. He said, but it's a difficult conversation. Anyway, so I, I went away and like, uh, I, I come back, I was, you know, sort of about an hour and a half later. And um, I was, I was just, I was just going to the toilet. Anyway, the pair of them were walking down the staircase. You know, it's like a sort of one of those curved staircases, and they were both sort of smiling and laughing with each other. And they got to the bottom as I passed, and um, you know, so I said, I just sort of nodded, and and you know, I'm, I'm said, uh, he said to me as we walked past, he said it was a good meeting, it was a good meeting, and the guy was like, you know, nodding, and <laughs> you know, it's like he he's not, he, he, you know, he. he it's not that he's like, I've never found him cold. He's the no. opposite of cold. But, you know, that you get an image. And, and, and some players need to be loved. And maybe some of them need to be loved a little bit too much. Yeah. You forget, like, yeah, he's your manager, you're not your mate. Yeah, and I mean, that's been the way I'm feel for years as well. I mean, Rafa's on, on a, in a different way, but, you know, there's always been the player, the, the manager guy. I mean, Roy Evans would probably be the one that'd put his arm around you and give you a hug, whereas Ronnie Moran would only put in his arm, his arm around you to tell you what you'd done wrong. Well, you to uh, ring you there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but overall, the whole thing, you know, the sum of all the parts makes it so strong. And, um, I think that's, that's what I mean. I think sometimes we simplify football far too much. I mean, sometimes we overcomplicate it as well. Let's, let's not get it wrong, but you know, we, we maybe do it, do it in the wrong times. Um, talking of, of football and oversimplifying things and all the rest of it. I think just quickly, there's, um, been used as we're recording this. I think it was on out earlier today. The Premier League are going to ban gambling companies from the front of the shirts for, um, from about three or four years from now, but only from the front of the shirts. You can still have them on the sleeves and you can still have the LED signs. And then there's, there's reports that they kind of done this because the government were going to step in anyway and maybe ban gambling advertising. But, um, Jay, you know, you, this is a city where gambling in a way is a big thing because of the Grand National. So, I think we're not sort of averse to gambling, but what we're maybe averse to is all this sort of gambling companies that don't really put any effort into dealing with people who've got a problem. You know, I've not nothing against alcohol advertising, but you know, we, if you run in a pub and you can see someone's having problems with alcohol and it's really, really wrecking the life and all the rest of it, maybe, you know, as a landlord, you'd be having a quiet word. And, you know, there's all of these things that, you know, you're allowed to do these things, you're free to do them, but, you know, football has some kind of a responsibility to kind of stop that. But it just sort of, it felt to me that it was just lip service, really. We're going to ban it from the front of the shirts, but you can still advertise on the sleeves. You can still have it on the LED screens around the game. And no doubt, will be plenty of advertising before and after the game. I think what maybe is an issue is, um, like if you say, you've mentioned the Grand National, and obviously we, we're recording this on, uh, well, the Thursday before the Grand National is on Saturday. So, if you are in the round of pool, it basically takes over the city. Um, you know, horse racing has a levy on the on the betting uh, industry. I'm not sure exactly what the percentages are and what the figures are. I remember listening to something a while ago from um, Kieran Maguire, who's the football finance uh, lecturer at Liverpool University, who obviously got a, a highly successful podcast. He basically was saying, you know, there's a levy in place for the gambling industry on horse racing, which means the money goes back in. Um, into horse racing itself so obviously they're quite free and happy in terms of allowing so much gambling sponsorships and whatever you look at jockeys they have like gambling 
um, companies on the the side of the the legs, and um, yeah. you know, like the, the, all the races are spaced, uh, sponsored usually by gambling companies, unless it's like charity races. So he was saying, you know, football doesn't have that, and why isn't there some sort of push to get the gambling companies involved in some some sort of levy that would put money back into football, even if it went to grassroots, because you, we all know the top end, like you, you know, the Premier League and and all the top leagues around Europe are, are very, very profitable in terms of like wages and whatever. But, you know, if you're not developing the grassroots football, you've only got to take a drive around the city of Liverpool and look at some of the state of the actual facilities for, for people to play grassroots on. There has been some investments in recent times for these there's big campuses around, like you know, where I am now in in South Liverpool. There's there's one off Ossipool Promenade, Jericho Lane, which has always been famous for football pitches. And then um, around like the Hunts Cross area, there's a, there's a huge complex there. Um, a lot of them have got facilities for like three or four G pitches, and the grass pitches are just left to ruin. Um, and you know, Sunday League football is huge in most places. Or allowing kids just to play football as well. They've got nowhere to play. They've got no facilities, and maybe that is what the issue has been. That you know that they can't force the gambling companies into a levy to sort of get money out of them. So they're going and thinking, well, you know, the, the governments are, are going to be arsy about it. They've probably got the knickers in the twist over this football regulator thing and whatever. Um, that. There's no way around it, so therefore we'll just target football because football is the sport that's always targeted and always looked down upon. You know, like I always think of the things like you can have a pint of the cricket, but you can have a pint of the rugby, you can have a drink at Wimbledon, or yeah. there you take a bottle of water on the cock and and they're all over you. Do you know what I mean? You can't even take a bottle of water into the stand really because you know you're getting checked in most cases by stewards if they're doing the job properly. That you can't take anything into the actual ground, never mind even take a, a drink actually onto the concourse, uh, onto the terraces from the concourse. It's it's always a sport that's that's always, you know, hit with the stick or hit with the whip, if you want to use a Grand National reference and other sports, if they've got connections of higher people, then it's it's okay to allow that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I, I can remember um, as well when you're saying about the money and that. Um, Littlewoods Pools used to be the big thing, probably before your time, Jay. Um, it was the big thing that people could um, sort of have all the dreams come true by putting some, guessing what the football results were going to be, you know, getting eight draws out of ten choices. And it it worked it worked well for the city because I'm pretty sure that um, Liverpool and Everton did quite well out of the money from it. But later on, when... Um, I mean, coming towards the end of the pools times, you remember it as well, Tony. They had, um, they had a levy on that, didn't they? Which kind of paid, was supposed to help clubs build all seater stadiums. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, a lot of money went into football from that levy. But, uh, you know, nowadays it's the majority of it just goes in in sponsorship. And, um, I mean, you know, football's used really as a, you know, it, it does. It, it opens doors for people and companies, and I, I don't think the money that's 
going into the game and being taken out of it through well taking out of people's pockets through gamble and re- reflects that. And so I think um, you know I'm, I'm behind this restrictions on it. Lair clubs like Stoke really badly because I mean basically they're, they're, they're a, a football team attached to a, a betting company or betting yeah. company that. As, as a football team, so and I, you know, I think uh, football does have wider responsibilities in society, and uh, and you know, and it should live up to them, and it hasn't. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's strange though, as well. I was thinking as well, like, um, my youngest has sort of got into Formula One now, she's um. She doesn't remember the days there was such a when when I was younger and Formula One was on the telly and it was all like racing cars going around with like advertisements for cigarette brands, smoking brands, everything, you know, Marlboro cars that were in the Marlboro logos, cars that were in the John Player special logos. Um I don't know, it's just strange. Nowadays you look at Formula One and they're advertising Heineken, but then it's got the naught point naught or whatever it is at the end, or or Guinness the naught point naught. Um and the other one that gets me about this, actually, Tony, you're probably the best one to ask about this. Why is it that the non-alcoholic version of a drink costs the same as the alcoholic version when there's no duty on those non-alcoholic ones? What's Apparently, they cost more to make. Really? Right. It costs more taking the alcohol out than it does to actually brew it with alcohol. God, because it's just like, I was thinking, like, you're paying, like, you're paying, like, £4 a pint for some, like, fruit juice, aren't you? Some, like, fizzy fruit juice when you've got, um... Mm. It's just mad. Um... Anyway, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the um, with the gambling thing because I think you know it's, it's where it's where Fussy gets his money from. It's that it's crypto. Um, it seems to be all the money that all the money's in place is where they kind of you know they have to buy our favour. You know they have to sort of um, buy the way to our to our love. And if it's not that, um, it's who the football clubs are owned by, which isn't always the best, is it? Now for Liverpool, one of the reasons they need money is to buy players. We're not going to get Champions League money next season by the looks of it, unless there's some unbelievably strange miracle. And that means we might not get Jude Bellingham. Now, Jay, are you are you worried about those reports or were you sort of half not expecting him anyway? I think it's just all past the dance, to be quite honest with you. Um I think it was a, a story appeared out of nowhere that Liverpool had a bid of what 84 million or whatever was the rumoured amount um, and then that night you know every journalist under the sun you know come out and basically said no no we're not, we're not the running so I, I I'm of the opinion like you know he's not going anywhere yet because he can't um, so why 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 is all the you know the who hard and whatever um, and why would Liverpool come out and just say like flat out the running no we're not whatever we can't afford them right now like you're just making yourself look a bit silly you know you're trying to drive the prices down at the clubs maybe you're trying to bully Dortmund into a corner to, to get a deal done maybe uh, I don't know just you know just playing along with it because the, the bid was put out there and Liverpool don't want their their laundry aired in public as they, as they say so you know maybe we do get it maybe we don't but I just think the whole messed around with it was just all a bit unnecessarily put out there by the club fed to journalists to sort of you know maybe if, if there is a bit gun in that we don't want it to be made public or something like that I don't know but if we get him we get him it would be really good because why would we not be in competition for the talent that is you know generationally something we've not seen for a long time I reckon Tony's uh, it sounds like Tony's walking towards the um, to see if he can find out more about Jude Bellingham for us <laughs> <laughs> Canelo's a background uh, yeah, yeah well it's, um, 
Yeah, sorry, this is a, it's a really noisy area. It's like living in a building site. But yeah, it's a, I think it's it's simpler. I think it's a, they've realised they can't afford them. And Man City and Real Madrid are going to come in over the top. And it's, a, it's left Liverpool in a situation of like, oh, we need defenders, we need midfielders, we need a lot of things. And we can't afford to use... It's like, and the only thing to say to Judy, if he really wanted to come to us, and it feels like he's repeating itself and it won't happen, um, he's still got a contract with them. He doesn't have to go anywhere. He can stay there until we have got the money for him. He can stay there until he's worth, you know, his transfer fee comes down because there's less time left on his contract. And that's kind of what we all said to Michael Owen when he went to Real Madrid. We said, look, you can... Um, you know, you can hang fire. You can just wait. You know, you don't have to go to anyone else. You don't have to leave them. You can come to us. But players, players aren't. Even Michael Owen, who claims to be a Liverpool fan all his life, they want to play, don't they? They want to play in the best places. And if he wants to play in the Premier League, he's not going to wait for us. I think the yeah, one the- thing, sorry, sorry, was uh, the the story that was put out from James Pearce. Like we thought he was only going to cost eighteen million. I mean, if that's genuinely true, which I don't think it is. Like, where did that even come from? Thinking that a talent that big was only going to cost you eighty million quid when Jack Grealish, who is, isn't half the player, I don't think that Jude Bellingham is even at Jude Bellingham's age of nineteen, went for a hundred million. I, I just don't yeah. get it. Yeah, it's and the club didn't help themselves by by making the uh, the obviously their intentions to buy him so clear. They've ramped up the price. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and and if if we've not got him after waiting for two years, it looks real stupid. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without yeah. a doubt. And that's the thing. I mean, Liverpool's good signings from the last few years have kind of almost gone under the radar. You know, they've you've not known loads about them. They've not been big news. And then next thing you know, we've bought the player and we've got them for a decent price usually as well. And that that always struck me as odd the way that we were talking about the way Bellingham was being talked about was so nailed on for that kind of money. That the only way that was going to happen is if we had already done a deal of some kind that said at this point in time we'll pay you this much money which just you know it's dream world isn't it it's just dream world um, well it, it, it shows the dysfunction of the club I'm afraid and this is what happens and it's crept up on us because the team was so successful in the in you know last season and we did you know a lot of us didn't see it coming I, I admit it we knew that Fenway weren't engaged enough we knew that they're not putting enough money in but we thought yeah you're going to fill the, the voids and he had enough about him to keep this this momentum going, and he hasn't. And that's a sad thing. And now, now we need players that have made a, a hash of the whole Bellingham situation. And I'll, I'll be honest, um, I think it's going to be an uphill struggle. You know, but hopefully they'll sort themselves out. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. 
or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Hopefully, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I know, I'm, we have to wait and see, won't we? That's the thing. I think it goes without saying that we're not, we're not, um, we're not buying from the same brochure as the likes of Man City and Newcastle because we've not got that kind of money. And even if we had that kind of money, even if the, for some reason they decided we had that kind of money, it's just not Fenway's way to spend that amount of money. Like this idea that we could get him for 80 million, I can imagine FSG saying, well, we won't be paying a penny more than that anyway. You know, if, he, if he's any more than that, we won't be getting him. Um, it's just, it's just not, we, we will sell players for stupid money. Um, Phil Coutinho, for example, but we won't buy them for that level of money. Even though when I say stupid money, let's face it, what we're paying for players now is, is stupid money. Next game for us is Leeds, who don't have, definitely don't have stupid money, but the way we're playing, they've got enough about them, haven't they? Another team, we're away to them. Monday night football, it's just got, you know, after these sort of three big games, if you like, where I thought, We'll see something good from Liverpool. We'll really put everything into it. Leeds. Well, you know, you know, rampant Roy Hodgson and his team stuffed them five one there. So you know, I don't see why we shouldn't. <laughs> At that point, Jim, can I can I get off? Something's, something's just come up. Can I? Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Listen, Tony, I know you've got to get off. So we'll let you go. Um, we'll right, talk so. about this. Thanks for tonight, though. Anyway, and uh, we will see All you right. soon. Catch you soon, Tom. So Tony's had to leave us. I I reckon that he knows a lot of stuff. Tony, I reckon he's. Um, I'm fingers crossed. He sort of he's going smoothing the things over, so maybe we can get Jude Bellingham for less than we think. I don't know, but you're right. I mean, 80 million for him. That that's maybe what he's worth because that's what players players are worth. Stupid money, but like you say, Manchester City broke the price structure for the league, didn't they? Yeah, they've they've, they've gone way out of control. Like like prices now. I, I can remember, you know, and. This might show my age, it might not show my age, I'm not really that old, but I can remember like the whole like media circus around Alan Cheetah going for 15 million when he went to Newcastle. Yeah. And um, from Blackburn, I can be like, that was mega money, 15 million. Like, what was 15 million by now? Like, you know, am I buying that Phillips or something? I think Blackburn paid three and a half million for him, and that was mega money at the time. From Southampton. Yeah. And yeah, you like know, it, it was no time later, it was 15. It's just. I, I think what was it? Sort of when we got Torres, we didn't he break our record? Uh, when we signed Fernando Torres, uh, I, I want to say that was twenty something million. But you know, for for a while. Well, you we, know what? There was we, always a we thing with, with, Nando, with Fernando money. Torres where the people were saying what the fee was, and I'm pretty sure that it kind of what happened was the fee was quoted in euros, and then someone changed the euros to pounds, and then backwards and forwards, and in the end. No one knew what he really paid for him anyway, because people were just trying to guess. Was it? It was in the twenties, though, wasn't it? No? Oh yeah, yeah. It was definitely around the twenties, and there may have even been a bit of um, sort of later payments as well. So it went up, went up a bit more. It was no more than twenty-five, from what I can remember, though. Yeah, and I can remember that was that was big money, um, you know, for for Liverpool to be paying at the time. And well, that's because we, you know what? A couple of years before that, we bought the cow and. Um, you know, David Moore had to put his own hand in his pocket to, to lend us or whatever another ten million so we could go out and buy him. 
you know, he was about 18 million, I don't remember right, or something like that. Yeah, but. And we didn't have enough, so Moore's lent us, letting the club back money out of his own funds, kind of thing. Um, that's well, we've mad, never been it, huge spenders, like, you know, I think if you're a, if you're a level headed Liverpool fan, you know, the, you've got obviously the FSG out army, the FSG in army, like, you, there's always a constant bickering, and the reality is fans will always want more. Like, it's just a natural reality of things. Like, you know, we, we will always want an extra player. We will always want, you know, like a few more quid spent. If, if Jude Bellingham's going to cost 100 million and we can only afford up to 80, then, you know, if offered, would the fans have a whip round? Of course they would, and they'd get that 20 million in no time. But I, I think all, all we're asking for right now is we, we've got to the, to the top of the mountain in terms of, you know, we, we won the Champions League, we won the Premier League, we won everything else there was to win under Jürgen Klopp. Um, and this season has been a rude awakening for a lot of people where, you know, there, there was there was fair enough people, you know, a lot of people on, on Anfield Index themselves could see, you know, we needed strengthening, we needed investments and we've not had it. Like, you, a lot of people now are harping back to the Champions League win and we brought in Adrian, Seth Vandenberg and Harvey Elliott. Well, you know, of all them lads, Adrian's probably had no more than 15 to 20 appearances across his time. And of that, probably only a handful of them have been actually decent. Harvey Elliott, we've still got question marks. Now, he's still a kid, but we've still got question marks as to what he is. And Seth Vandenberg, I think he was out of Preston and then he went to Schalke and I think he got a serious injury. So we've not seen him since and he could be out the door in the summer. We don't know because mm. we've not really seen much of him. And, it it was always the the gripe of, you know, you should strike while the iron's hot. So, you know, add a position of strength, make yourself even stronger, don't let people catch you. And, you know, there was always people saying, well, you know, just enjoy it. Like, you know, it's taken us this long and we should just enjoy it. But I think now people are coming back and looking back on what they said at the time, probably thinking, well, you know what, maybe you were right and we could have just done with one or two more here and there. And that that's... That's all I think we're asking for. You know, a 25 million average net spend each transfer window or each summer under Jürgen Klopp isn't good enough for literally, arguably, what we think is the best manager in the world. You know, like he, yeah. he's brought us things that we've not seen. And all we were probably asking for really is another 25 million each window. That 25 million is, is buying you a player or two, you know, depending on, on what market you're shopping in. But, we could have got midfielders last summer for 25 million because there was players that moved for that amount. I think you there's know. something as well about Klopp, though, isn't there? That he's not gonna he's not gonna sit around and say um, behind the scenes he might be saying we need this, we need this, we need this, and him and his team, you know, him and his coaches are saying this is what we need, this is where we're short, this is what we should be focusing on to try and bring people in and all the rest of it. But once once that window shut, once there's no nothing more that can be done. He's not the sort of person that's going to spend the whole season slagging the board off and not bringing in what he wanted. He's the sort of person who's going to say, right, this is what we've got. We've got to do the best with what we've got and I'll, and I'll try and do my best with that and, you know, try to be positive about it. But, you know, behind the scenes, I mean, the stuff Tony's talking about as well and, and what we're seeing from, from this side of the fence sort of, sort of thing is, you know, it doesn't feel like everyone's talking to each other because like, if, if everyone can see where we were short of players, why inside the club couldn't they? You know, and that's the bit, the disconnect, as Tony said. Um, something's got to be done this summer because, like, 
I was watching the Arsenal game and we were two nil down, and I just thought, well, there's a surprise. We were we were we were shit against City. We didn't do great against Chelsea. We didn't do as well as we should, considering where they are and how they the turmoil they're in. And then here we are falling apart to Arsenal. Great, they might be league leaders, but we shouldn't be this bad. And at that point in time, I just thought, you know what? It, I almost felt like it was worth giving up on the season in the sense that you're still going to go to games if you can. You're still going to watch them on the TV if you can't. You're still going to follow the Reds because that's what you do. That's what you've always done. But what you're not going to do is have much hope of anything great coming from it because not because of, because of basically the, the mistakes we made in winter and the mistakes we made in summer. Like, you know, it's too late now. If this was a game, you know, like a console game, you'd be thinking, fuck this, I'm going to restart. You know, there's no point carrying on. I've messed this up. I cannot finish this level because I've completely screwed up already and I need to go back to where I was. Yeah, I think we we, we actually stood on the, on the cop on sun, Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. It's the bank holidays are free way out on oh, that no. day, am I? <laughs> um, and when it went 2-0, we said, this is going to get stupid now. This is going to end up like 4 or 5. Because at the time, that's what it felt like. Um, and, you know, just harping back to what was said earlier on in the podcast, like, it shouldn't have took, you know, Granit Xhaka being an idiot to get us riled up. Like, you know, it, it shouldn't need that. But, you know, if, if that's what it took, and then you look at what we produced, especially in the second half, like, and the frustration is, like, we, we can do it. Yeah. Um, And, you know... I just feel there's that much disconnect off the field. It's clearly manifesting on the field as well as obviously, you know, you know, you, you, you have got to take into account last season, as much as people say, like, and I've said in the past, you know, you just got to let it go. We, we come so close. Maybe, you know, the reality is the players are human and they just think, you know what? We got that damn bloody close and we still couldn't do it. What the fuck are we doing? We're just banging our heads against the wall. Like yeah. we, we 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 just haven't got that extra two three percent just to get over the line. And whether that extra two three percent is you know an extra player, like I'm sure you know that there probably is players in that squad. If you pulled them aside, you're never going to get the opportunity. But if you pulled them aside on a personal level and just said, like, do you think player X is any good? Do you think player Y is any good? Or could we do with, you know, player A, B or C? Would that have made a difference? And, you know, they probably would say, like, yeah, if we'd had this or that, you know, helping us out, then maybe, just maybe, we might have got over the line. But surely that's taken a toll on the fact that there's so much upheaval, I think, in the in the club's hierarchy and powerful positions. And, you know, you can only imagine Jürgen, who is the face of the club, has taken a lot more on his on his plate in terms of what he's got to deal with. Maybe that's then manifested to the fact that he's taken his eye off the ball on the pitch. You know, like he, when we were so successful, we had a successful recruitment team. We had all the data analytics. You know, players were presented to Jürgen Klopp. Jürgen Klopp thought Julian Brand was the right one, and the analytics team said, "No, actually, we think it's Mo Salah." So we went mm-hmm. with them, and Julian Brand is still a decent player. But Mo Salah is twice the player that he is, and I think we wouldn't have got to the levels we've got to with Julian Brandt. So, you know, you'd never know. It's just a one of them things that will will never be discovered. But Mo Salah has gone on leaps and bounds, and we we hit the target so many times with transfers up until you know 
18 months, two years ago, maybe three years ago, when we've not really fully invested much and things have started to wobble and fall apart. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in Darwin Nunes will come good. He's got a lot of raw ability, but there's still a lot of people out there with question marks. It might take him a year or so to settle, and next year might be his good year yeah. when he when Everton starts to click for him. But in the past, you're looking at like, you know, let's just look at anyone there, in Mane or Ginny Wijnaldum, they come in, instant impact, and it worked. So maybe we, you know, we jumped the gun with Nunes, and maybe it was a case of we go now and get him at that price which is affordable for us, or if we'd left him in Benfica another 12 months, what would his price have been? Would he then be out the market and we've gambled there and tried to get him in early? Um, and maybe that is a situation that you, you don't know because you're not privy to all things, but there's a lot of people questioning his ability and is he ever good enough for Liverpool? And, you know, that alone raises a lot more conversations and a lot more questions Um you know, it, it it's it's a huge summer, and we've we've had that tagline for years and years. Like, you know, it's you know, this is a big summer, and then you know, we or we get to like this part of the year where it's written off, and you go, right, well, it's huge summer now. We'll go again. We'll invest. We'll rebuild, and we're never quite good enough. But I think the fan base at the moment, whatever side of the fence you're sitting on, I think it'll be this summer that tips a lot of fans one way or the other you know if we do get a lot of investments and get the players we need like those who are questioning will then maybe shift across where if we don't get it those who are sort of like you know what just give them a chance and stand back and a little bit of support will probably shift the other way and say you know what enough's enough now because the level that we fell behind this season from being you know Champions League finalists and running Man City close for four to five years I was a six or whatever, to being so far behind, it has been a huge wake-up call to everyone. And I think now we are at the the tipping point of of where we are going to go as a club of the future. Are we going to compete for the top end of the league or are we just going to slip back into where we were in like the, the mid-90s, early noughties, where we were just sort of, you know, get up for the big games, but looking ahead, we've got Leeds this week. You'd probably say, well, we might struggle against them because we put everything we, we could into Arsenal. Yeah, and they're going to want to revenge that um, that Roy Hodgson game, aren't they, as well? Um, you know, they're going to be sore. The other thing I've always thought, though, with the summer and that is, like last season, you could probably say, look, we won we won two trophies, we were close on another two. You know, you might be thinking we're kind of like, we're, we're inches away or centimetres away from being where we need to be. That's how close we are. But the thing is, you don't then in the summer kind of move yourself forward a couple of inches or a couple of centimetres because everybody else is moving on. And what's happened is everyone else has moved forward and we've ended up being a yard behind everyone else. And if this summer we think, oh, we're only a yard behind everyone else, that's all we need to do to close the gap. Well, no, because they're moving on as well. So we need to do a yard plus whatever they're going to do. Otherwise, we're going to be, you know, a mile behind everyone else. And that's the thing that winds me up the most is like, well, there's a lot of things wind me up the most. I shouldn't just say one, but one of the things that winds me up a hell of a lot is the way that, you know, we don't, we, we always think we're nearly there and then we don't sort of take into account what everybody else is thinking and how they're going to improve. Nobody else stands still over the summer. They're all going to be doing stuff. Some will get it wrong, some will get it right. Um, I wonder what Everton will do. Will they get it right? I mean, are they going to stay up? It's funny. Um, it just made me laugh the other, the other day or the other week, whenever it was. It's not that long ago. Um, that Chelsea, 
went back to Frank Lampard. I mean, he must be a better manager than we think. He must have a hell of an agent, <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> I, he, he, he must talk the talk. I mean, when you hear him talking in interviews, he doesn't sound the brightest spark. But, you know, I think, well, on the Chelsea points, who else are they going to appoint? Yeah. <laughs> They've pretty much gone through every manager. Like, they, you know, they, they, they tried the the young up and coming British manager and they cherry picked him from Brighton. They didn't work out and they even brought, you know, Tom Dick and Harry to go with him or his backroom team and recruitments and all that. But, you know, shotgun top bowl, he just decided, well, enough's enough and out he goes. So, you know, any decent manager is probably not going to go there unless they're going for a bag of cash, which, you know, they, they might well get, but they've pretty much had all their managers, you know, like the likes of Conte and Tuchel, Mourinho, you know, Ancelotti done a stint there. Like, they, they've gone through them all and, you know, like they're probably looking across the touchline last night at Ancelotti and they would give anything to have him back. But he isn't going to go there. He knows the mess he's in. He knows, like, you know, a couple of bad months and he'd be out on his backside again where in Madrid, he can afford a couple of bad months because he knows if I win the Champions League, Everton's fine. Everton's cushed. He, like Zidane didn't win the league for a few years, but as long as he won the Champions League, it was fine. Um, and then you, like, you look around Europe with the managers, that they're not going to leave clubs where they're secure to go to Chelsea. So, you know, maybe, you know, they did look at the bottom of the barrel and they literally scraped all the scum off, which, you know, was that Everton mess and they found Frank Lampard sat there and thought, you know what, the Chelsea legend that is on the pitch. Maybe we can resurrect them on the video on the on the touchline, but I don't think they've scored the goal since he's been there. Um he looked clueless last night and then, you know, he's coming out with the word that, you know, we can have a bit one of them famous Stamford Bridge nights. So unless they're they're pulling out double plastic flags and, you know, playing Chelsea Chelsea for ninety minutes over the tannoy. I'm not sure what a famous Chelsea night looks like. No, um, I think it mainly involves singing songs about Steven Gerrard and things as well, doesn't it? Or do they only do that when they play us? I've got a feeling they do it when they're not playing us as well. More than likely. God, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. No matter how bad things are, though, there's always Everton. Um, I mean, I've not been paying that much attention to them recently, in all honesty, so... Um, I don't even know what they did. did they, they played last weekend, but I don't know what they done. <laughs> No, I think they did. It's, it's weird, isn't it, where they are, though? It's like the, the result that would be great for them, like a draw is an amazing result for them because it's, when you're down at that end of the table, every point counts, doesn't it? You know, it's... Um... Oh, they lost to the Manx last weekend. Oh, course, That's why yes. it didn't really... Yes. That's why, you know, it, it, you won't have heard not on because their second club beat them. Yeah, they were probably, yeah. They, I mean, I, do you know what? I actually knew people who actually had, um, who had kits of both, both teams at one point. Um, like the kids did anyway. They claim, well, mum supports Everton, dad supports United or something like that. And I'm like, God, you can't. You've got to let your kids choose a team, haven't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, the people you speak to with Everton fans, like that, they're by no means safe. You've only got to have a quick look at the table and, you know, somehow Roy has rejuvenated Palace with two wins and, and pulled them up to 12th now. So they're on 33 points. They're, they're six points behind high flying Chelsea in 11th. Um, I would imagine this season 
Palace are probably two to three more points safe. I think 35 is definitely probably going to keep you up. Um, you look along the, towards the bottom, Southampton 23 look look doomed um, in the nicest way possible. And then Leicester 25 above them. Um, we will see what happens whether the appointments of Benitez is dead or whether I'm not actually going for Dean Smith. Um, I've just had a quick look there. So, yeah, Rafa won't be going there um, unless he goes in the summer and Dean Smith's actually only on an end-of-season contract. So if he saves them, he's a hero. If he doesn't, then, you know, he's not got on to lose. Um, but then Forrest, 27. Everton, 27. Leeds, 29. Bournemouth, 30. West Ham, 30. Wolves, 31. All the way up to 13th. So... It's tight down there. A win can take you up a few places, but a couple of defeats can see you slide back down. And all it takes, as you said, was a draw would be a good result for them. Um, I think what we are probably in, in tune for is given our season is pretty much a write-off. We can probably just sit back and watch and see if they actually do go this year because, you know, they flirted with it last year. They got very close and it could actually be this one that the trap door opens and swallows them in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's they, they've had the new manager. They want the time for the new manager bounce is gone now. He's got a, you know, you, that's your first couple of games, and that's over and done with now. They've got eight games left. They are out of the relegation zone at the minute, um, but two teams below him. One's got the same points. One's only got two points less. Um, in a way, we could do them a favour. And again, we've talked about this before. If we beat Leeds, that does them a favour because that's a team they really don't want Leeds to get points. But then again. They'd probably quite enjoy us being being, wouldn't they? And that's the that's the dilemma. Um I didn't realise Dean Smith had gone to Leicester, actually. I've been um been on a bit of a football blackout the last couple of days. Um that's it's only because I'm on the speak. Premier League that I actually see that. Yeah, and I didn't realise so, you know, all that time we were talking about it. But the truth remains the truth stays the same though. That's the kind of job that I think Rafa would be best for. Um and it was really good listening to what Tony was saying before he had to go about Rafa. Um there's a lot more to that man than people realise. It's all very easy for the press just to kind of make him out of some kind of fool at times. And half of that is down to when he first came here and he was still learning English. That they sort of they tried to run rings around him with his English and you know they, they joked about him and, and ridiculed him for just being not English, which is you know only certain sections of the press did that. Um, talking to certain sections of the press, this. This um, this weekend is, of course, the Hillsborough anniversary. So, um, as we always say, don't buy the sun because of what they did all those years ago. But this weekend, of course, it's time to think about about those who are no longer with us. And I always think of those who, who survived that day as well because that was that was hell, absolute hell for them. And and you know they've gone through a hell ever since thinking back to it and all all the struggles we had. But I mean, you were there on Sunday as well. At least. At least some clubs kind of understand it because, from what I can gather, the minute silence was was impeccable. Yeah, that that's one thing I will say about Arsenal. Like, you know, they're, they're a big club. They're probably you know the third biggest club in the country behind us and United. Um, if we're being honest about it, you know, like the likes of City and Chelsea can come and go with money and whatever. But Arsenal are a, are a proper football club, um, and the only thing stopping me from wanting to win the title is or was Arteta, but, you know, the way he conducted himself on Saturday, he didn't have to wear a badge with 97 on, but he did. Um, You know, their fan base, to be fair, I don't think 
there was any report of any sort of derogatory singing from them, which, you know, is very rare these days when it comes to a Liverpool game. And yeah, the minute silence was was impeccable. So, you know, if any Arsenal fans do get their ears onto this, then you'd like to, to say thank you for what he did because yeah. very, very few others would do that. Um, and it just shows, you know, a, a statue of the club that they are. And, you know, other teams will think they're proper football clubs because, you know, they do things certain ways. But, you know, you can all laugh at the social media business of Arsenal. But when it comes down to it, the, the running and the, the, the way they behaved on, on the weekend was, was second to none. And if only other clubs could take a leaf out of their book, then Everton would be a much more, more smoother experience. Yeah, and that's the thing with football. I mean, managers come and go, players come and go, success comes and goes, as we know. Um, maybe for Everton doesn't come and go as quickly as they'd like. But I mean, that's the thing about football. But the things that's kind of constant is your fan base. I mean, it's like, you know, dad passes on to son or daughter, he passes on to their son or daughter, you know, the love of the game, the love of the club and all the rest of it. You know, it's the fan base that stays. And um, I know the first team we... The, Arsenal took the league off us in 89. I know, and I always think, when I do speak to Arsenal fans, when I think of the 1989, straight away I'm thinking of one thing. When they're thinking of 1989, they're thinking of Anfield and beating us. Um, and I think they understand... And um, you know, as I say, as you said, you know, I made up with that. I hope Leeds fans can be just as good on Monday because I'm sure there'll be another minute silence. But I'm not. I'm really not going to hold my breath on that. Um, no. But you know what? Those people in that ground are the same as any of us. Football fans love the club, love the city, all the rest of it. You know, and it could have just as easily been you. You know, very, very easily could have been you, especially Leeds back in that time because you were one of the top teams around then. Um, could easily, easily have been you doing that that day and being treated that way and losing lives that way so just hope they find time and you know time to reflect and, and keep quiet keep the gob shut because I know the families actually were made up with the silence on, on Sunday so thanks to Arsenal um, let's hope we're thanking the players as well let's hope we've got um, a much more cheery cheery podcast next time we're out because we will be back soon but but for now Tony thanks for your time tonight sorry you had to rush off Jay, thanks for your time as well. And to you for listening, thanks very much for that. We do appreciate it and we hope you enjoy what we do. Listen to the rest of Anfield Index. There's loads of good stuff on here. Um, and if it helps you stay sane during these mad times as a Liverpool fan, all the better for it. But for now, that is us and we will be back soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.